Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Fee from South London, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. Now, my question is, which condiment could you live without? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello. And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we're talking everything from. Well, we're talking everything from Fee from South London's question Which condiment could you live without? Dane, are there any condiments that don't have significance for you that you could just let go? Mayonnaise. Really? Yeah. What? I'm, what? I'm lactose intolerant, Howard. So, you know, wow. May- okay. Mayonnaise, mayonnaise can go. And, and, you know, first of all, you can get vegan mayonnaise now anyway, Howard. Second of all, I feel like aioli has kind of made mayonnaise somewhat obsolete in certain socioeconomic groups as it is. And finally, like, I just don't know how you can make sauce from egg yolk. It's weird. You, you make this entire your own opinion. I'd go for mint sauce. I have no interest in mint sauce. I don't enjoy it on my lamb. I prefer mustard. Mint sauce is what I'd get rid of. And um, yeah, I suppose we answered that one there for Fee. Yeah, Fee, um, you almost broke the group up. How would you got? We're going to have to talk about this mayonnaise <laughs> thing because you got really upset about that. <laughs> oh, I've got a lot of time for mayonnaise. Um, but <laughs> Howard, can we compromise? I like Pyrenees. Okay. Okay, fine, done. Gosh. Well, well, Fee. Uh, suffice to say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. No matter no matter how contentious they are, we are never afraid to confront the issues with these questions. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all the questions from all our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a British comedian, actor and rock musician for his live comedy work he's been nominated twice for best show at the Edinburgh Festival and has won a Chaucer Award a British Comedy Award and a Sky Arts Southbank Show Award on TV he was a star of BBC series Uncle and wrote, directed and starred in BAFTA Award nominated short Elephant he has also released two successful albums of original music which feature hit songs from his solo shows and are available on iTunes and Bandcamp and he's also an all-round very, very nice guy who never feels awkward please welcome to the show Mr Nick Helm <laughs> It's me. You said Hawkwood. You referenced one of my jokes. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Some good jokes there, Nick. How are you, Nick? How are you? I'm all right. How are you, Tane? I'm good, thank you. And I just wanted to add, because Howard helped me to comprise your bio, but I also want to add, Howard, a special a story, that um, the first time I went to Edinburgh, I was lucky enough to get a spot on the BBC showcase at the Pottero, which was at 12 o'clock. And I got so excited about it that I turned up 12 hours early for it uh, and didn't sleep. <laughs> and then when I came back to do it again properly, because I was uh, relatively green to the comedy industry, uh, I was very nervous about performing at the BBC. And the first person that came up to me to squirm my nerves was Nick Helm. And I remember that. That was in 2012. So always been an all-around nice guy, Nick. So it's very nice to see you. I always thought that happened in Latitude for some reason, but yes, I remember. It's because we had the um, the trailers, that's why. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I always remember that. And yeah. uh, and I, I always say, you know, I get quite paranoid sometimes, and I think that everyone hates me. And then I always think, how could Dane hate me? so uh yeah yeah great thanks for having me on no problem nick's always been like you know when dane finally does switch and goes on that killing spree i'll be safe (laughs) yeah i got in early with dane yeah you know you know when it all goes down you'll be all right when i'm when i'm in the top of that that clock tower with that rifle (laughs) you can walk along (laughs) whistling away walking your dog mate grab yourself a (laughs) great good 
Good. All right. Brilliant. Nick, Thank you. Nick, where do you Nick, where do you stand on um on the condiments issue? Are there any that you particularly don't need, or are you what's, what are you feeling? Uh, 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 right. So ask me. Ask me. The, ask me the question. Um, Nick. Uh, um, um, uh, which condiment could you live without? Uh, extra large. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought, but I also think that aioli is is technically it's a mayonnaise, isn't it? It's a garlic mayonnaise, and I also think that pyrenees is technically a mayonnaise, and I think vegan mayonnaise is still a mayonnaise. So I, I understand what you're saying, Dane, but I would say that if mayonnaise is out, then mayonnaise is out. You know. Uh, oh man! I, I, All right, that, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Then we get into an argument. You said that you could live without it, though. So I'm just like saying it's yeah. gone. It's off. The, it's I, off. Yeah, it's, it's true. I could, yeah, exactly. That's true. I could live without it. I mean, as long as the rest of the world doesn't suffer. Because the thing is, I thought about a mustard, but I wasn't sure how the mustard umbrella works. Would it just be like French and like Dijon mustard, or would it be like English mustard, or what level would I, I be throwing away? I, I think it would be all mustards, and and I'm not really big on mustard, but. Um, Sometimes it does call for. I could live without applesauce. Mm, interesting, interesting. Good. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Thank you. I've never wanted applesauce. I always think it's interesting yeah. how the, um, the 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 chili sauce uh, dynasty really grew with the sweet chili. Yeah, boom. Sweet chili really tra- yeah. really turned it turned the whole thing around. Between sweet chili, I'd say, and, uh, and kebabs, and it's weird because I feel like. Sweet chili sensations really helped that, despite the fact that they're not actually a condiment in themselves. No, so it's crisp, mate. Yeah. Well, if you if you were to ask the question, what condiment could you not live without? Mm. Is that the way? Yeah. Mm. Then I would have to say chili sauce because you know we can't live without chili sauce. I put that on everything. That's it's, it's a good choice. I was th- I was thinking uh, I probably couldn't live without soy sauce. Ooh. Oh, and soy sauce. Yes, yeah. soy sauce and chili sauce. I could not live without. I could live without ketchup, maybe. Ooh, that's good. not in its heyday. I wouldn't choose to get rid of ketchup, but I could yeah. live without ketchup. But I couldn't live without chili sauce. Yeah. I'd be devastated to never have McDonald's sweet and sour sauce again. That's a good. I love that sauce. Poor. Do you know what? If you go in McDonald's, then the sweet curry sauce that they do at McDonald's is, mm. is incredible. Yeah. Well, Fee, you've inspired much debate. Thank you, Fee from South London. Absolutely. And and I would like to advise all the listeners that uh, I can't stress the importance of condiments enough. I mean, it can make the difference between eating a slice of toast and a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, Wrap her up, guys. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I've come back. That's right, to, guys. I've come back to understanding what a condiment is. Yeah. But what? But what? But what if they had sauce-flavored condiments, Nick? Would you? Would you? If there was a sweet Durex made sweet chili flavor, would you go for that? Sweet chili flavor. Um. Well. Sure. Okay. Yeah. If I'm sucking, if I'm sucking a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, but I would just say I'm not really. Do you know what? If they were checked out, then I would. I would just you know put sweet chili sauce on. I, I just don't know why I would. I would cut out the middleman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and I would just eat eat hot chili <laughs> sauce. I'd eat, I'd eat sweet chili sauce off the off the dick. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, you know. put cover it in a in a yeah. All right, and then yeah, uh, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, great, great. Well, we've all learned something from today's episode. Well, I hate to break this up, but unfortunately, we're going to have to uh, go on to a question from our guest, Dane, as the well, format of this show dictates. Or another question, I should say. But um, yes, um, Mr. Sorry, Nick yes. Helm, as our very esteemed guest, we would invite you to ask a question, any question you would like, a question of any type, which we'd like to discuss for about 15 minutes, have a little talk about that. How would then ask a question, which we'll discuss for the same amount of time, and then lather, rinse, repeat. I would like to ask you a question which we could discuss for 15 minutes and such. And then when we are done, you can let our audience know where they can find out about more about your good works, deeds, thoughts, and products. Sound like a plan? That sounds great. I and I'm not, I'm not massive on me going first, but yes, sure. First guest to moan about that, but okay. It's your, it's your format. Yeah, but do you know why? Because I, I, don't, I haven't seen an extensive <laughs> list of who else you've had on, but... Um, 
but I'm very sort of like gentlemanly. I'm always sort of like, you know, you go first, you know. So, so I, I imagine you've had absolute animals on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. we have. So, Roman's first true. start. He oh, came really? on this podcast. Yeah, he was going mental, ramblings about someone stealing his hot sauce. The guy has a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> well, what was his question? His question was about, um, is he too old to buy trainers, Kid, or to buy, have a trainer collection? Oh, right. It was like that, was it? <laughs> okay, fine. I'm sure, I'm sure you got a lot of lessons. <laughs> uh, all right so are you waiting for me to ask my question then yeah yeah yeah. okay so yeah i've just got to come out and ask my question that, that'd be great yeah yeah all right okay here's my question uh what's your fucking problem <laughs> <laughs> I, I can go first. If exactly, you... yeah. I like it. I like it. Let's go with it. How, feel free. What, what's your fucking uh, problem? What's my fucking problem? <laughs> my problem is, I, well, I don't know where to begin. Where do you want me to start? I mean, uh, everything's what? just, uh, the world's a fucking a hard place to live in, right? Doesn't it drive you up the wall? Like every day. I have to remind myself to stop getting annoyed. That's like the level I'm at with, with with what my fucking problem is. Like, you know, and I get annoyed at things I don't need to care about. Oh. Well, okay, but what is you, but what is but what is your problem? Oh. Uh, that's very good. It's it's, it's existential, Howard. Mm. What's your is it, is it that your is it that your problem is that is it your fucking problem, Howard? Is that you think everything that's happening in the world is happening to you. And that if you yeah. if you thought about it more on like a global scale, you could let go a little bit and you could kind of like put things in a bit more perspective. Maybe that's your problem. I don't know. It's I just, a really, it's a really I just, good analysis. It's a re- I just asked the questions, Howard. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. necessarily have the answers. No? <laughs> i tell you what, no, it's a really good way of looking at it because for me, there's just been, uh, I guess, you know, insular, insular time over the last year or so. I've, I mean, uh, you know, that's not, that, that can be the same when we're not going through a pandemic, obviously. Um, but, you know, I felt quite insular. And therefore, yeah, you do kind of become slightly monopolised by minor issues in your own life. When you actually look at the real world, it's probably not as big a deal. Okay. Yeah, that's one way of thinking of it. But then I suppose... The fact that everybody has a problem it might be why we contribute to a global a, a problem on a larger global scale. So you know, Howard, it could be not yourself personally, but maybe everyone else's preoccupation with little minor things and the individualism that kind of follows that might be the reason mm. why we have larger problems on a global scale because everyone's like, "What about me?" So <laughs> it's like, it. um, yeah, but it, that's what it's like, though, isn't it? It's like uh, raindrops. And then when you get enough raindrops, you get a um, ocean. Yeah. You know, and everyone's, everyone's individual uh, problems, like what Dane's saying, they all, if you add them all together, then what you've got is you've got like atoms that are just bouncing around. And then when they bump into each other, they explode. And, uh, and it's all right on a kind of like a personal scale, you know, if it's you, in your house, you know, by yourself, not interacting with people. But as soon as you start going out in the world, you know, whatever fucked up, uh, you know, shit that you've been saying to yourself in isolation, you know, telling yourself one thing when in actual fact the, the opposite is true. Since you go out into the real world, start bashing in with things that are actually, you know, uh, what is it when you've got um, when you when you tie yourself to a chair and then you uh, you, you, you brainwash yourself? Yeah. So let's mm. just say you brainwash yourself and you go out there in the real world, and everyone else is kind of like thinking one thing and you're thinking the other thing, and then you're going to sort of like butt heads against people. So maybe it's uh, maybe is that what you mean, Howard? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it because you're like, particularly like I say in lockdown, you kind of I've developed quite a solid system. 
neck of existence. It's quite watertight, actually, now. Don't tell me. Don't, don't tell me, Howard. Tell the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, audience, I wake up at 7.30 every day and I take my son for a walk in his pram about 8am and then I take him to the swings about 8.30 and then I get him home and by 9.30 he's asleep and then I do exercise. And, and this can go on. I can go on for quite a while here telling you every hour of the day pretty much. Obviously, I'm going to enter the real world again once this is all over, this pandemic, and they're not going to play by my rules. <laughs> the things aren't going to work by my rules anymore. So maybe, that, maybe that's my fucking problem is that I'm just going to end up having to play by the world's rules again, not this own little kingdom I've built here of just, you know, easy, easy living. So does that make you, sense? You set yourself up living in, living in your own personal Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 it's, and your fucking problem is that you've got a fucking perfect life. And your problem is the fact that other people have got to kind of come into your life at some point and ruin it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyone else? <laughs> you know, you know how I, I, I think I find most people kind of have that disposition a lot of the time within a, a capitalist society is that we are encouraged to be able to create our own piece of heaven, right? And then anything else outside that can disrupt that, we're like, oh my god, no, feeding feeding children. What about me? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good, it's a really good question. Do you, do you feel that there is an existential problem you have, Nick? And you're like, this is my problem. This is my well, complex. Well, just to, just to, just, if you're going to be analytical about what Howard just said, Howard said his problem was other people. He's the, other getting, people, basically. <laughs> other people was the problem. But in highlighting what his problem is, he's actually highlighted what his problem is. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I get he was that. actually, if he was actually more open-hearted with people and let them in, then maybe, maybe all of his problems would go away. Uh, just, a, just a thought there. Just a thought there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'm a control freak. That's the obvious, simple explanation. I think, of what, I think is, what we've learned, what we learned with Howard, is he has to let go a little bit. You know. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, but how is that for years? In, in how in how's defense, his he 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 his fingers have been burned. <laughs> he and his, he and his people's fingers have been burned by people. Um, I have yeah. I, I have a quote that I think articulates my problem, Nick. Um, it's uh, by a French philosopher called Alphonse de Lamartin, which I may have me definitely mispronouncing, but it's it sounded it sounded good, no, mate. It sounded good. Uh, it's uh, the, 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 the quote is limited in his nature, infinite in his desire. Man is a fallen god who remembers heaven. And that's my fucking problem. What does that mean to you? It means that um, I know better, but uh, I don't always do better. And I guess I, I can always feel that uh, that I should be a part of something greater. And, I, and that's not something materialistic, but I think in my pursuit of something greater that is supposed to be metaphysical, like I waste time on the, on the material. And... So would you say that you are hyper aware of your own limitations and that is like your curse? Because if you hadn't known what you're capable of, then you wouldn't, you, there would be nothing to, to miss out on. But knowing. Yeah, but, but knowing. But at the same time, I think that it's, that's almost the, uh, the disposition of most human beings and why what we refer to as maybe spirituality or wellness is that there's part of us that realizes I think there's more to our being than our mortal coil. And sometimes we either do stuff to entrench ourselves within it. If it provides us with comfort in the form of physical gratification, or we try and find ways of leaving it through escapism, whether it's like through use of substances or distractions or, uh, I guess political identity and trying to attach ourselves to other ideologies as well. I think we're at a point now where all of the ideologies that have guided us as a society to this point are no longer, well, yeah, they've become obsolete. So it's kind of like, yeah, my problem is where the fuck do we go now? Because mm. I, I think we've gone as far as we, we, we could go doing what we've been doing. And Howard, how does Dane's mm. answer make you feel about your answer? Oh, awful. Yeah, no, I hear <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, he's so good, Nick. You're so good at that. Well, no, well but, done, but, that means, but how would I, I? You you went first, so I, I had more time to think about yeah, my answer. But that's you know. Yeah. <laughs> what's your fucking problem, then, Nick? Come on. <laughs> what are you fucking got here? Eh? I'm alright. Um... <laughs> 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 oh, it's really good. Well, that was a good question. You know what? That's perfect. I can. I, can, I have to still edit this show. Um, so that that was a perfect question. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask something very different. Do you mind if I if I switch gear to something like go a bit personal? Is that all right? Is everyone? Okay? I mean, you, you, you can yeah. tell me to fuck off if you like. Um, but well, we we we've done some work with Samaritans recently. You know, uh, that's a cause. You know me and Dane both feel strongly about. Um, they were saying some interesting stuff about listening and, and uh, being a good listener. Say that again. <laughs> no, <go on>. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be serious now. Fuck no, this. I'm not going to bother. Serious, you know, I'll ask my silly question. I'm going to ask my silly question no. instead. No, right. that's, that's the proper question. That's the proper that's question. That's the proper question, right, Right, you've either got you've got a choice of two questions. You've either got really fucking serious misery or John Claude Van Damme. What do you want? I mean, they're both serious to me, but Howard, remember this. This is this is, this is, this is how, Howard, Howard, the idea of comedy is to st- stare into the darkest recesses of tragedy and get the comedy out of it. So you can ask a serious question. We'll find a way. Um. So okay, you want the miserable. You want the miserable question. Fine. Um. Samaritans were saying to us, you know, uh, it's important to listen. And, you know, people go through really tough times, right? People go through really tough times. So I was going to ask you guys to tell, to share with the listeners as though it might help them going through tough times. Talk about what has been a tough time that you've had that you've uh, managed to ultimately kind of come through. Um, Pretty personal. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I could have just talked about John Claude Van Damme if you want. Well, we should have come to a Van Damme question. Well, I watched Time Cop and I thought, you know what, this is a really good fucking film. And then I looked at the rest of his work and thought, oh, I'm not really sure about Jean-Claude Van Damme's career. Where do we rate Jean-Claude Van Damme in the history of great action movie um, leaders? Or what's the most depressing thing that's ever happened to you? (laughs) (laughs) To answer your second question first, he's like, uh, he's second tier, isn't he? In that era. Yeah. Yeah, you know, fine. Was he in Expendables? He, was he in Ex- uh, was he? It was the bad guy in Expendables 2. Oh, that's, yeah, second, that's pretty good. Sequel, yeah. And, and he, he, and turned he, got... down, he turned down the first one. He turned down Expendables 1 because yeah, yeah. uh, they hadn't written the script yet. Uh, okay. Just, it... just for the record, Time Cop, I would say, is genuinely a really good film. Like, I watched well, it. You know, time, time, Cop, time Cop, along with Hard Target, are both produced by Sam Raimi. Oh, there really? There you go. So, so yeah. after he did like after he did Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and Evil Dead Two and all of those films, Sam Raimi weirdly produced John Woo's first American movie, and then including that one, two Jean Claude Van Damme movies, and then he went back to doing like horror movies and stuff. And, and I think it's as, you know sci-fi, you know, a bit of time. Tra- we love a bit of time travel, don't we? When they do it, it's done. I think it's done well. I think it's done well. So, um, yeah, the technology at the time, like, and the and the awareness at the time, it was done well. I mean, this is because there's, there's like a spectrum in terms of like level of science fiction. Because I would like, I do like, you know, the the Nolan level of scientific theoretical research, but I'm not going to stand here 
and act like I understood Tenet. I really didn't, but I did like. Oh, no. I thought I thought Tenet was shit. Yes, agreed. Okay. Agreed. General and consensus. I thought, was, I thought it was absolute pretentious wank, and I and and there may have been something in there, but I just my thought is that if you're making a film, just let your audience get on board on the ground floor, and yeah. then go crazy. Just tell us what the fucking film's about. And then we can enjoy it. Do what you like after that. But if you don't tell people what your fucking film is about at the beginning of the film, then how the fuck you... I couldn't follow a single fucking thing and I hated it and I thought it was pretentious wank. That was what I thought of Turnit. And you can say that forward and backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, do you know what? Is that that why? Oh, that... Never mind. Thanks, Nick. You, you, you put the nail in that coffin for that. Um, so, yeah, Van Damme. I'd say he's he's second. He's second tier. I mean, second tier. But, Van Damme. But, but, but for me, I I deal with a different tier because I also include the Hong Kong film stars, and they're like top tier. So for me, it would be like, well, Jet Li and uh, Jackie Chan, of course. But um, we probably we should, I should probably address your other your serious question as well, Howard, about hard times. Um, hmm. So a difficult time. Uh, I would say. The point at which before I decided I was going to do stand-up comedy was a very, very, very difficult time for me in that uh, I suppose I was going through what I referred to at the time as a quarter-life crisis uh, in a job I hated. Uh, a girlfriend had just left me. Uh, I was still living at home. My parents on a single bed. Um, wasn't making much money. I think the credit crunch had just happened as well. And, um, yeah, I just... and I mean, you know, all of these... Uh, points I guess or this it's all relative but for me it was kind of I had tried to put together a plan of what I want to achieve with my life and in line with my ambitions and it just all fell apart before my eyes and I remember this I guess I was my eyes were open and seeing the world for what it really was and yeah I just I just took a look at you know the opportunities my friends were being able to enjoy uh because of like you know legacy uh wealth and you know uh nepotism and I'm not necessarily using that in a negative way just use just describing the phenomenon of you know not what you know it's who you know and yeah and I just remember on three occasions at every job I had people listening to me speak how I speak to you guys like right now and they'd be like oh you, you seem to be quite a smart guy Dane and I'd be like okay they, they, they'd go have you been to university and I'd be like yeah I went to uni and they'd be like well you might have a degree but I'm always going to be your boss and I was like what the fuck <laughs> I don't recall having this. I don't even remember bringing it up at all. So it was that kind of experience. Uh, yeah. was, an, was, that an, was that an actual conversation that you had? Yeah, three times at three different offices. First time. But that was, specifically, or is it kind of like, this is the gist of the conversation? This is what they actually said to you? This is verbatim what they actually said to me. Hmm. And so, yeah, I just kind of gave me a feel for the... Yeah, that's what what was corporate culture, really. And I guess through those experiences, working at a desk, I kind of worked out what the difference between a leader and a manager was. Like, when people consider, like, talking about suicide and stuff like that, I um, would have said, historically, I'd have been somebody who was kind of like, why would someone commit suicide or give someone else the power to take their own life with something that happened to them? But suicide, and this is not something I encourage, this is not something I endorse, but I und- I do get it. And I think it's important that people understand that when people feel suicidal, it isn't just a feeling that I want to kill myself. It's more as a part of a social species. If you feel so disconnected from people you're close to and from humanity and society in general, that you don't mm. feel you're able to contribute as part as a part of a, of a contribute as part of an organism, as opposed to contributing as part of a machine, you rationalize that maybe I don't need to be here. And I totally get how that feels and to anyone who feels like that I would say that you know always take the time to practice doing something which reminds you of your humanity like obviously all organisms need to breathe and reproduce and shit and sleep but you know we are we have the benefit that we can do things which allow us to chronicle our existence and Mm. you know they say you live as long as the last person alive the last person that remembers you stays alive and I think the way to ensure that you have a lasting memory is to f- be able to imprint on somebody else. Like I said, we're a human species. If you are someone who feels suicidal and or feels low, my only 
the only thing I can say, I can never tell you how to feel. I wouldn't ever presume that you can cheer up just by someone else telling you to, but understanding mm-hmm. nothing else. There's always someone feeling the same way. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't feel that way yourself, but it's just you, there's nothing wrong with you and not fe- and not feeling happy and not fe- and feeling like you've given up and feeling destitute is not a thing that is unique to any individual. We all kind of feel that way. And yeah, well, that's, that's why I wanted to ask this question really, because, uh, it's definitely one of those things that, God, you just you, people feel alone out there, right? What did what did you, what did what did come to mind when you uh, think of that question, Nick? I was just going to let Dane talk until <laughs> we ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, no, because you got to listen to Nick. Got to listen to. It's um, well, it's a really personal. It's a really personal thing with me. Um, I've always uh, like um. What was the what was the question? Because I thought Dane's answer was incredible. But what was the question? What what, what was what was one of your lowest points that you would share with people to, to kind of you know what is one of your lowest points that you remember that's good to share with people to show that you came through it? You know, I suppose is the way I phrase I, it. I'm, I'm, I think I think of I try and think of uh, moods and life like the ocean, and you you know. And you just have to ride the waves, and it's like what um, it's like what Dana was saying. It's kind of like um, and this year hasn't helped either. You know, uh, with every, it's, it's, I'm I'm quite lucky in the sense that I enjoy my own company, or I can switch off my own company, um, hmm. and I can kind of like put myself in a catatonic state and get through every day and I don't get under my own feet too much. But if I was with sort of like um, housemates or a family or, you know, if if my situations were different, then I don't know how I'd have dealt with the last year. Um, but I'm, I'm also sort of like um, very hard on myself and, uh, and I don't get on with myself sometimes either. Um, so yeah, so I mean, this is a very it's a very complicated thing to talk about, but um, but I've always had depression since I was very tiny, um, and it's uh, and I go through sort of like waves of uh, feeling good about myself, or feeling good, and then feeling bad, and then feeling good, and then feeling bad, and once a decade, I probably will hit absolute rock bottom, where uh, you know you're waves upon waves upon waves, and. Uh, and you know, um, when you hit rock bottom, it's kind of like, I, you know, I, I felt, I felt, I felt very bad very recently. And, and I sort of remember that the last time I felt this bad was about maybe, uh, maybe about seven years ago. And then the last time I felt this bad was maybe like 10 years before that. And so I do remember these times where they're, they're the very worst. And the thing is, I also remember coming out of them, um, mm. and um, and I, I go to, I go to therapy, and I think um, I think it's important. What I would say is, it's important to talk to people about how you are feeling. And I I I, I remember that the reason I got a therapist in the first place was because I felt like I was boring the actual shit out of everyone that I, I felt like I'd ran out of friends to talk to, yeah, <laughs> because I was struggling so much that I wouldn't have social uh, uh, events. I wouldn't have like social occasions. They'd all be just me like clutching onto someone for help. Just sort of like, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. So like, a therapist is one place that's sort of like, on Thursdays, I pile all of my shit onto Thursday afternoon, and then the rest of the week I can sort of function. That works. Sometimes that doesn't work. But what I would say is I've been seeing the same therapist for a few years. And recently I've been really struggling, and um, I've been ta- I talked to my therapist, and I was like rock bottom, you know, um, uh, suicidal thoughts, um, felt uh, like I don't have any purpose, felt like everything that I've, uh, achieve with my life is pointless um yeah i just felt like i just um everything that i've contributed has been shit and worthless and everything that i could potentially contribute um is not worth my time and certainly not worth yours so you know you have these things and you talk and you know you think to yourself that this is actually rock bottom this is actually 
the worst I've ever felt. And it's more complicated than that. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm trying to make this as entertaining as possible. But <laughs> but you, you hit you hit rock bottom, right? And then you talk, I talked to my therapist, and I was just like, well, this is how I'm feeling. And her take on it was that I am doing so much better than I was three years ago. Mm. Mm, and that's cool. For me, for me, I'm like going, this is how I'm feeling right now, immediately in the moment. And for her, she's like saying, yes, but three years ago, I feel that you were worse than this. And I feel like you have gained so many skills. And the fact of the matter is, you turn up for therapy every week. And mm. and now I'm going to stop talking about the therapist. But from my point of view, I turn up for therapy every week. Uh, I try and uh, eat properly. Uh, I've stopped drinking. I don't smoke. Um, you know, and I used to be, I used to, not an alcoholic, but I used to drink a lot. And I used to enjoy smoking with that. So I've kind of like, I'm doing these things. So every day I get up and I'm trying but maybe I take that for granted a little bit of the stuff that I am doing. And that just becomes part of me. Like being kind. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where um, there was a guy in the street uh, and he was, it was, it was weird. I went past him. I was going to the shop that was on the corner and I went past him and he said, could you get me a Coke? A diet. He said, can you get me a diet Coke? And my instinct was just going, that's fucking specific, you know, that you want, that you want a Diet Coke. I'll give you some money. You know, he's not asking for money. He's asking specifically for a Diet Coke. So I was just like, my, my instinct was to go, I'm not going to get you a fucking Coke. Uh, and then literally I went through this very complicated thought process within about three, three nanoseconds where it's just kind of like, well, he's not asking for money. Well, he's not going to spend the money on drugs because he just wants a Coke. All he wants is a Coke. In actual fact, it's a lot easier because he's made this a very easy transaction. I don't have any change on me either, so I can't really give him any money. But what I am going to the shop. So I just got him a Coke and I gave him the thing. Now, my instinct wasn't the nice thing, which is, yeah, of course, I'll give you a fucking Coke, mate. But I got there very quickly. Mm. And I, I sort of, so I say I'm a bad person because I even doubted whether he wanted a Coke. whereas eventually very quickly i got to the point of like saying no okay i'll get him a coke so i got him a coke and uh and i, I was ages in that shop and when i came out he was still there and i was sort of like here's the coke and he could not fucking believe that someone had got him a coke oh, that's so amazing. I, and that made me feel sort of like i don't feel like i fixed his life obviously but um but but it's like i always believe in uh, small or large or random acts of kindness mm. uh, and and and, and I, I don't know I, if I have a good experience with uh, someone in a taxi you know I'm, I'm getting a taxi or an Uber you have a good exchange with the person in the Uber and you're upbeat I was in an Uber the other day the driver was going through a narrow bit a guy shouted at him and swore at him and the guy you know and I'm a person and I wouldn't like to be shouted at especially not in front of like my passengers mm. and i was just like so i just sort of like chatted to him and i said oh he's an idiot mm. and i made him feel better and then we got to the destination and then that driver's gonna go on and rather than feel shit about the fact he was shouted at he'll feel good about the fact that he had a good positive exchange with someone and i that's that's what i think and i just think that you are you look at your career you look at your life you look at what you aren't the best person to judge any of that yeah right yeah. exactly you're not the best person to judge how your career is going. You're not the best person to judge how your life is and how your mood is and all of this. And sometimes you need a third person. And uh, I like to uh, discuss how I'm feeling with people that are close to me. And I also like to help people if they're feeling bad. And I think that that is the secret to life. And it's sort of like it's all waves. You might be feeling shit, but you just got to remember that it's a wave. And you might be feeling great, like what Dane said, but and you will come back down again. But it's a case of like being prepared for that and not being shocked every single time and enjoying the highs uh, while you get them. Yeah, and and and, and appreciating the lows as well. Um, I thought I'll pick on one thing you said, Nick, because I, I think that was a really great answer. Because you you said um, these are the things I'm trying, 
and this is how people think feel like I'm doing. And it's it's really two important uses of that verb because it's saying like trying is like you're doing something maybe when it feels like it's not working, whereas doing it means like you you be dynamically and actively involved in something, and it's, it's it's good because it means like based on the feedback from your therapist, even they understand that as a human being, there is no finite state that you stay in. Just like you said with like the whole waves is that like as a being, like there is like even a thought process of buying somebody a Coke, there's a being of like trepidation and then, you know, altruism and then fear and then happiness. And then, yeah. So, so even in that small exchange is to understand that, you know, there's a reason why we refer to it as a stream of consciousness, because like we use all of these kind of aquatic uh, adjectives to describe our moods because you said it's like waves and troughs and we crash and we come down rock bottom is obviously at the bottom of the sea and so so it's important that it's like you know i think that's the idea is that we need to learn just yeah learn how to ride the wave and 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 you know and and you know we say wavelength as well when we're we're able to connect with somebody in a metaphysical way so there's a reason why we have all of these kind of ways that is it i think this is the way we're supposed to connect and I, and i would say that's the best answer i i could ever hear is like you know the way is to connect with other people. It's like, you know, spiritual people believe the soul is forged in suffering. Well, then for those of you who may be suffering, then that is an indication that there is something more to you than just your human body. And, you well, know. Well, it's, um, I'm very pleased that I, uh, we, we didn't just talk about John Claude Van Damme. Uh, it's time for Dane's question, but I'm so glad we got to, to talk about that stuff. And I hope it, I hope it helps someone out there. My final question, Nick, uh, relates to a, a, a very cool and awkward event, um, which I hope is not too painful to discuss. But um, I, Nick had a performance at Live at the Apollo. Now, to those who are... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> those, those who are otherwise uninitiated, right, would have seen that uh, Nick may have struggled at Live at the Apollo. Those of us who do comedy we had, we could all give a resounding, happens to all of us all the time. Doesn't matter where or when, Everybody bombs. Now, some people will argue, but arguing bombing at live at the Apollo must be the worst thing. Bombing is bad in general. However, I feel like you're not a real comic unless you've, it's happened to you at least once. Because how can you be a jockey if you don't know what it's like to fall off of a horse? Or how can you be a boxer if you don't know what it's like to take a punch in the face? Um, that doesn't say it's necessarily mean it gets easier all the time. But um, my sure. question, Roz, really, uh, Nick, how do you normally deal with bombing and how important do you think bombing is to uh, comedy? Oh, I think it is. I think it's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, yep. I, Agreed. I, I just honestly, if you don't know what doesn't work, how do you know what does? And if you've never died on your ass, uh, then it's been luck up till now. Yeah. Or you've been a politician and you've just said what people want to hear. And in which case, that's not really, you're not really a, an artist, are you? So. I think that, I think the live at the Apollo thing is interesting. A thousand, it's a 3,000 venue. Oh, okay. It's a 3,000 person venue. A thousand people walked out. <laughs> and you go, <laughs> which I found that, I found out in the sun the next day. The sun, so many people had walked out that it was uh, it was one of those little um, uh, points of interest that they have in the sun. And they phoned me up and they wanted me to um, uh, comment on it. And then you know, uh, it was like hyenas. Everyone was like, phone, you know, everyone was phoning up, kind of like, oh god, what does Nick God say about it? And um, and you just like, I, I, I no comment. Um, uh, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't talk about it at the time. Um, and then a, a bit later on, I did, uh, Joel Domit's podcast. And I, by that point I'd got the experience and I did, this is, a, this is sort of like an answer to the second question as well. Mm-hmm. I, it was obviously like this terrible experience where as a child, as a, as a, as a young kid, you know, I grew up watching stand up on TV whenever it was, it was rare, but whenever it was on TV, I'd watch it. And then when Jack D started doing live at the Apollo in the early two thousands, I was a huge Jack D fan. Like he's my favorite comedian when I was a teenager. And, um, uh, and so, you know, 
I didn't know I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but I used to love stand-up. And then when I started doing stand-up, you just like, oh, finally, I finally found the thing that I love doing. And, you know, you start making friends with other comedians and with other people in the industry because, you know, you've all got like a, a joint interest in everything. And you kind of, I'm finally accepted. And then to be asked to do Live at Apollo is this amazing kind of like honour. It's like... If you are just a stand, if you are a, a straight stand-up comedian, if you're just a stand-up comedian, if you're a straight stand-up comedian, just you just do stand-up, no acting, nothing else on the side, then doing live at the Apollo is pretty much the, the height of what you can do in this country. It's like it's like, it's like playing in Wembley as a as a as an English footballer. Absolutely, yeah. And you have like um, uh, so when you get you go to do it. It was a really weird day because I was very relaxed and I'm normally very nervous about stuff. But I'd worked on the material. I'd, um, I'd, uh, I was, I was on tour at the time, and I would do. I, I put aside a 20 minutes section of that show to literally work on my Apollo set. Um, and so I knew what it was. And then, I, and then a friend of mine came to see me, and he said, "Is that what you're doing?" And I said, yeah. And he goes, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. So I changed it at the last minute. And uh, and I still thought it was pretty good, but I changed it. Um, uh, I do songs and poems as well. So they're a little bit like Lego bricks where you can kind of like swap them around. Mm-hmm. And then um, when you do Live at the Apollo, it's like doing uh, Stars in Their Eyes, where <clears throat> the fucking the thing comes, there's loads of smoke, the thing comes up. And you walk through this billow of smoke and there's all these lights on you. And I came out and um, Roisin had just been on before me and uh, uh, Russell Kane was comparing. And we were the second show. The first show that was recorded that night in front of the same audience was Jason Byrne. uh, Ramesh was comparing. And um, there was another comedian. Stuart Francis was on. Mm. Right. So it's been a long night. And I think Roisin had fallen over her shoe and had to start again. Right. And everyone in the audience was like, you can do it, Roisin. <laughs> and so she was like, oh, the audience fucking loved her, right? And then I came out and I do one of my jokes and no one laughs. And I go, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> <laughs> and the whole audience, the whole audience instantly are just like, well, you're not Roisin. And she fell over and she had the, uh, you know, the common decency to look embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And you've come out and you've got a joke. It's like, this is my act. So my act is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. If it's going well or if it's going badly, right? Yep. If it's going well, I get angrier with the audience. If it's going badly, it's just like, well, what the fuck am I meant to do? I'm just going to do the act. <laughs> yeah. um, so like, I haven't just walked on to Live at the Apollo for, or, with no experience. Yeah. Like, this is it. There was 3,000 people that hated me. I had like a little routine about it where it's like my mum was sat like eye level in the stalls and she had her like face covered <laughs> with her hands just like, like in horror. She was just like exactly eye level, halfway up in the stalls, exactly eye level. And uh, and I was like, you know, I wrote material about it, which was, you know, yeah. Oh, a thousand people walked out. Do you know how embarrassing that is? My mum and dad were in. Well, they were at first. You know, it's like <laughs> and, uh, in my head, just before you walk onto the to the stage, you think, "Yeah, great! This is going to be brilliant. This is live at the Apollo. This is what I've worked my whole life for." And then, as soon as you step through, you know, the smoke, and you're confronted with the audience, and you do your first joke, and they don't like it, you go, "Oh yeah, I'm Nick Helm. <laughs> They're going to hate me." <laughs> um, and so you do it, and um. Uh, yeah, like, I, I thought for a start, I thought the audience were incredibly rude because they knew it was being filmed and they were all getting up and leaving. And I thought, what a bunch of pricks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really proud of that um, that thing, that, that live at the Apollo, because it looks like, if I'm not enjoying it, it looks like at least I'm doing it. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and the thing about, and the thing about <laughs> you know, the, the thing I'm just going to say, you know, there's so much editing, not to say that there aren't brilliant comedians who have, nice gigs on live at there's so much editing that goes on it's such a bizarre thing anyway because live comedy is such a thing and and there's nothing i can tell you i've been watching comedy for many many years 
There is nothing compared to watching Nick live. It it is a wonderful experience seeing you. Nick, one of my favourite ever memories of comedy is going to see you do a preview of a show in a basement in um, Aces and Eights in Kentish Town. And um, the guy welcomes you onto the stage and you walk out and this guy just next to the stage just whoops. He just goes, Danny, Danny literally just goes, woo! And Nick just stops and just rips into this guy for fight, honestly. <laughs> I, like, I, feel like I, I feel like I was there. <laughs> absolutely rips into this guy for ruining everything. We haven't even started and you ruined it all. And it was, honestly, I've never, in, that was, I enjoyed myself. So Nick, you know, fuck it, Nick. These things happen. Well, yeah, this, this is the thing. And I, and I think it's it's interesting because uh, the, the elevated uh, peril or tragedy, it's only because of the venue that it happened that, they were such a bunch of thick, stupid, lazy cunts in that audience. <laughs> that, you know, I'm, surprised, I'm surprised a thousand of them even had the fucking intelligence to get up and fucking walk out. So I don't, I don't mind. I, I think it's um, exactly. I've had people walk out of me before. It's a, in Edinburgh. It was a badge of honour. I got rid of like I got a five star uh, Edinburgh Award nominated show. Uh, and I came out the day after I got a five star review. And oh, it's the worst. Packed. It's always the worst. And within, it's always the worst. And within, the worst. within 30 seconds, the entire front row had ran out in terror, right? And you just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like it's, I, think, I think for some people, it's kind of like um, having a bad gig must be the most embarrassing thing in the world. If you don't do comedy, because like, oh my God, yeah. it must be, oh no must be the most embarrassing thing in the world. It's just like, no, I'm embarrassed for you because you're not laughing. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you obviously don't get any of my jokes. So it's like, it's, um, yeah. I don't know. But it was it was really weird. It was a really proud moment. As I walked off the stage, I looked at the clock and I think, I can't remember how long you're meant to do. It's something like you're meant to do like 15 minutes. Mm. And I remember looking at this red, like digital clock on the front of the stage as I, I was walking off and it said 15 Two, and I was like, I've done my time. I just yeah. walked off. That's it. Nobody looked at me. Nobody looked at me. Uh, you know, the makeup women—they ignored me. All of the other acts ignored me. <laughs> I was with my parents. It was the day before my birthday. I was with my parents. I was just like, I don't know what I meant to fucking do. Like everyone's ignoring me because I've died. But I was also on last, and everyone wanted to get the tubes. And let's face it, it's not like uh, Russell Kane is famous for not talking a lot. And it was like. <laughs> So, great so great, got, great friend of the podcast by the way we all love you Russell <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, so yeah so it's kind of like you go well what the fuck am I going to do so me and my me and my I was with my parents and so I had to go into the green room I was just like I've, I can either go home and not show my face or I've got to go into the bar and at least show my face and then I'll leave so I went into the bar nobody talked to me <laughs> and then and, and then uh, me and my parents were stood in the corner just having a drink, uh, and everyone knew that like that it had gone badly. And then uh, Roisin just came over to me, and she started chatting, and uh, and then you go, oh, amazing! And then we left, and then it was my birthday, very awkward dinner that we had for my <laughs> birthday the next day. Um, but like it was just like it's just like well, they say, oh, wait, I did it on Joel Domit's podcast, and then it kind of like got released. He released his podcast like two days before Live at Apollo came on uh, TV. And then Chortle wrote an article about it, like I'd given them an exclusive exclusive interview. (laughs) Um, And then people from all over the industry were like either messaging me saying, well done, good for you on blowing the whistle on Live at Apollo. And then you had people in chat rooms that were saying that I was always a shit comedian and this is what happens when shit comedians go on TV. And you're just there going like, Wow, I'm getting like the perspective from everyone. When in actual fact, I didn't do anything clever. I just went on, did my act. I did it as well as I could. Yeah. And when you watch it back, I did fine. Um, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so it's just one of those things. But um, uh, and I think that at the time it was difficult for people to watch it because I'd done Joel's podcast and then talked about the article. It's difficult for people to watch it. Without the aware, you know, without yeah, being aware, without that. the bias, yeah, I suppose, or, or, the, or the, yeah. But, but. but had I never talked to Joel and he hadn't stitched me up, then, um, <laughs> 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 then, 
people would have, people would have thought, I, especially, I know what I was going to say. I'm going to say, when you're doing live at the Apollo, it's a TV show. Ooh. And it's only a little bit of a live performance. The live stuff is to give you an idea of the fact that there's an audience. Yeah. It looks very luxurious. It's, 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 very, it's more for ambience, and, ambience than anything else, like for the live audience. It's a, they're a prop. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, look at how big this fucking venue is. And then it's a TV show. It's a TV show. I went mm. to see a couple of my friends record a DVD at uh, the Apollo and the whole time it went fine. It didn't. It didn't go amazing. Didn't go badly. But the whole time, people were just getting up and going to the toilet, yeah. and then coming back and sitting down again. And then other people were getting up and going to the toilet. And you kind of like go, ah, all fine. I enjoyed it. I, I'm proud of myself. Yeah. No. I most definitely should be. I think. I think. Uh, it's like. And you said, why did you bring it up, Payne? Why did you bring it up? Because <laughs> I wanted to let you know, Nick, that that was also three <laughs> years ago plus. <laughs> and you have come forward in leaps and bounds again. And also because I, do you know what? It's also because I've, I, it's like you said, the level, the way that comedies fans and audience members and, and like uh, critics were kind of polarized over something like that. Like it shows you the power of the art form that we're doing, because, you know, if you was doing a vanilla bland thing that kind of laughed and was along the, along the same lines as what people are used to hearing, it would have probably been like, well done Nick. And then faded into obscurity like people who know you and your body of work know what you're capable of. And you have, you know, a litany of other achievements aside of that. So if you have this one blip, which was able to cause people like chore to get involved and all of these like online critics to get involved, it goes to show you why it's important that you, you, you be yourself when it comes to performing, because I've had, I've bombed, I've bombed in an auditorium at Bruno university and, I, and literally people were telling people were chanting in unison, please pass the mic. And you know, I've read that people tried to boom me off stage. And I know having that experience, has given me a distinct advantage over a lot of my peers because I knew if I can come back from this, when a whole room of people are trying to boo me off stage, then, you know, how, how bad could the next one be? It's like, you know, I love this art form and I have to accept that bombing is a part of it. And the first cut is always the deepest, isn't it? So yeah, you yeah. bomb. And I, I, I bombed in other ways. I don't know. I've bombed in other ways since then and stuff. But the important thing was, is that, you know, that you've continued to be yourself and, uh, and continue to stick to your uh, art form. And, and, and like I said, I just don't think like with, an art form, if you are doing something that is universally enjoyed by everybody, then what could, like, I don't know what you could possibly be doing. There's like, the only thing that people, like something that everyone takes involved doing is breathing. So if you're just as relevant as like air, then, but I just, I just think that, you know, it's, it's an example whereby even in the pursuit of something you love more than anything, there's going to be like crests and troughs there as well. And those don't define you or your career. And it's the same thing with real life as well. There's going to be parts where you're like, fucking hell, life is shit. But that's not, that's not going to define who you are. So that's why I wanted to ask you about it because it's like, you know, like you said, the, uh, the event is very similar to like, you know, coping with your emotions and stuff as well. And it's all about, and it's all the contributes towards resilience. So. Sadly, we could, we could talk about this for ages, but we have run out of time today. Uh, but it's been a, a brilliant, brilliant episode, isn't it, Dane? What a, what a guest. What a guest Nick Helm was. Absolutely. No, and there's no doubt in our mind. And, you know, I think, you know, given the stories we discussed, people know what, what, what it takes to make a comedian of this calibre. So, again, Mr. Nick Helm, thank you so much. Yeah. And, Nick, again, thank you so much for being a friend when I didn't know anybody. And uh, I never take it lightly when, you know, people take time to be kind. A random act of kindness, which I remember to this day. So you know, mission accomplished in that one, mate. Oh, you fucking hell, mate. You've just tied the entire thing together. If you just said something about mayonnaise as well, and <laughs> I just thought you were a god. <laughs> well, I mean, Very it's... Good. Well, today on the 7th of May, your nays, we've recorded. So that's as close as I'm going to get. You went and fucking fucked it, Dave. Oh, 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 we, we can't bomb anymore, Nick. I thought we could still bomb, Nick. That was the whole thing. I bummed oh, it. Man. And I'm not sorry. Not like that. Not like that. <laughs> it was a beautiful experience for, for all. I'm sure the view- listeners uh, enjoyed it immensely. And, Absolutely. Um, and uh, Nick, um, if, it would, please, if you could please tell our audience members where you can find out about your good works. And uh, yeah, it would be very, we'd be very grateful. Thank you. Both musical and comedic. And both. Um I think you can get, I've got uh, some studio albums and there's the Uncle soundtrack. Uncle's on Netflix and Loaded is on Netflix and Eat Your Heart Out's on Dave. Uh, 
I don't know, watch them. Oh, my show, Phoenix from the Flames, is out on Go Faster Strike, and you can download it from there. And, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it is good. I've seen it. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, it's good. And I, and I hope to those of you listening, uh, you uh, can see, as Nick has told you, that even someone uh, of that calibre who is well-regarded and respected within his art form experiences severe depression as well. So the most important thing is to understand that it's, to, and it's a cliche, but it's okay to not be okay. And personally, I always feel like if you weren't depressed every now and again, you ain't paying and fucking attention. But just remember that that's not the entirety of your being. It's uh, waves and you just learn to ride them, guys. And uh, yeah, if you ever want to have a question about, you know, your existence, you can always uh, message uh, this podcast as well. So. Absolutely. Thanks again, Nick. It's been, Thank a, you very it's much, been Nick. a joy. What a good podcast. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnaptiste. Our guest was Nick Helm. You can follow Nick on Twitter and Instagram at the Nick Helm. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.